Good morning, everyone. Today, we're continuing our wholehearted series, and we're going to look at the Great Commandment. Once upon a time, a curious teacher of the law asked Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus replied, the most important is this. Hear, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we've heard it many times before, but today I hope to analyze this important commandment with you together, and I hope it will continue to inspire us into wholehearted devotion and worship to God. Let's pray before we get into it. Lord Jesus, thank you for gathering your people together here in person and online. Thank you, Lord, that we can worship and praise you. And thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that you still speak to us today. And I pray that you would uh, inspire us and challenge us and encourage us to continue to understand what it means uh, to be wholehearted to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today, there's three main parts we'll be exploring. The first is Jesus gives us a new standard to wholehearted. The second is that Jesus says to be wholehearted is to love. And thirdly, Jesus says being wholehearted is more important than sacrifice. So let's look at the first one first. Jesus gives us a new standard to wholehearted. To understand this statement, we need to look at other supporting uh, passages to get the full picture. So firstly, let's think about John chapter 13, verse 34. Do you remember that verse? Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. Jesus is saying that loving our neighbors is a new commandment. Have you ever thought about this? It's strange, though, because technically it's not a new commandment, right? It's an old commandment, an Old Testament commandment found in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And also the commandment about, uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength can be found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 5. So this is strange. Jesus knows his scripture well, yes? So he wouldn't have made a silly mistake. Now, there's a reason why he said that this is a new commandment. The context of this verse from John comes after the Last Supper. Jesus had a Passover meal with his disciples. He washes the disciples' feet. He predicts Judas' betrayal. And then he gives a new commandment to his disciples. Love one another as I love you. It seems like Jesus has highlighted what love is through his servant-hearted actions. And so what I'm trying to get at is that when we think about loving God and others, we now need to see it through the lens of Jesus because he demonstrated for us perfect obedience and perfect sacrifice. Are you guys with me? Now, it doesn't mean that the Old Testament doesn't understand what love is, and it doesn't mean that Jesus is saying that the Old Testament is wrong. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 40, Jesus said that these two commandments, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor, these are the foundation on which the entire law and prophets, aka the Old Testament, are based on. So the exact wording in that verse says, Jesus says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. God is love. And he created us to be creatures who know how to love God and others. 
Throughout the Bible, we see God demonstrate his love in numerous ways, and he's commanded us to love him and our neighbors. But now, with the complete Bible, the Old and the New Testaments, we have a fresh perspective of what it means to be wholehearted. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. His ultimate sacrifice is the power he gives us to love. Do you guys get what I'm trying to say? Let me put it um, another way. In the Old Testament, before people knew and met Jesus, the Israelite community's understanding of loving God and others is to obey the laws given by Moses. The Ten Commandments was the guiding principle for the Israelites. God gave them strict instructions for following the laws, the rules for sacrifice, and how to conduct yourself in the temple. Because firstly, it's to highlight God's holiness. And secondly, because they were just an established people of God. They had no other nations or communities or the full Bible to look at to understand what God wants. They were the ones who were to be the first to set an example to the world. But unfortunately, the Israelites failed. They couldn't live up to God's standards of what it means to be holy and perfect. Well, actually, no one can, right? Now, that's a key theme of the Old Testament. No one can save themselves. We all fall short of God's glory. We can't be perfect. We can't live up to God's standards. And then Jesus came into the world. He is the perfect human because he's God. And he represented us to take on our sins. And he defeated sin and death by resurrecting again. And if we repent and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, we are invited back into God's kingdom and we become part of the new creation. Now, we're not completely transformed into perfect beings yet, but we will be when Jesus returns. But right now, we're being transformed by Jesus every day, and the technical term we use for that is called sanctification. And so after this long explanation, I hope we can all see that our wholehearted devotion should stem from a response to Jesus' love for us on the cross. And that's exactly what grace is. We don't deserve God's love, but he still chose to love us with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. We can never return the favor, but we can live our lives with a posture of love that overflows from the grace God has given us. Do you guys understand what I'm trying to say? God created us to love God and others, but because of our sinful nature, we can't do it properly. But praise God that Jesus died for our sins and invites us to be in his new creation. And through his power and grace, we can once again properly love God and others. So just a quick note again, we're not made perfect yet, but we are being sanctified. And so this new commandment Jesus gives us is a reminder to live every day wholeheartedly to love God and others. The new standard to wholehearted is first and foremost to live in the grace and power of Jesus. Without Jesus, we can't love wholeheartedly. Amen? Now, the next section to think about is that Jesus says to be wholehearted is to love. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, it's interesting that the Shema, which is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, um, it's recited twice daily by observant Jews. And it begins with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, 
the Lord is one. It's a reminder that God is one, and it's a reminder for us to be singularly focused on God. We are commanded to love God with one's heart, soul, mind, and strength. These four nouns are representative of our entire being. The heart represents our thinking and affection. Our soul represents our desire and feeling. Our mind represents our understanding, and our strength represents our energy and power. So our love to God and neighbors can't be a part-time thing. When we commit our lives to God, it's not just carving out a Sunday morning or an evening to come to church. And it's not just carving out a midweek um, evening for life hubs. Our life revolves around this new identity Jesus has given us. And the core of our identity is love. So what does it look like? Now, it's hard to tell you exactly what it should look like because our lives are so different. My life characterized by love will look different to yours, but it should stem from the same place, the grace and power of Jesus. I can't tell you day in, day out what your life should look like, but I can tell you what values we should have. Jesus loved from a place of obedience, humility, and sacrifice. And that's what our lives should be like too. No matter where we are and what we do, we should always be asking ourselves, am I living a life of obedience, humility, and sacrifice? Am I obedient to God's word? Do I show humility by thinking of myself less and focusing more on God? Do I practice self-sacrifice for the sake of Christ? Now, besides loving God, we're also required to love our neighbors. When the teacher of the law asked Jesus about what the greatest commandment is, Jesus answered with both, love God and love your neighbors. It's a package deal. We can't separate the two. Yes, God is the most important, and we should always love God first, but a close second is loving our neighbors. So if we say that we love God, but don't love our neighbors, and by the way, you guys all know that, neighbors include everyone and our enemies. A good example is um, through the parable of the Good Samaritan. So if we say that we love God and don't love our neighbors, then we don't truly love God. We think we do, but actually we don't. We can't separate these two commands. And so to be wholehearted is to love Let's practice loving God and others together. Yes? Let's put our singular focus with our whole entire being on loving God and others wherever we are and whoever we meet. Now, our final section to explore today is that Jesus says being wholehearted is more important than sacrifice. In our passage today, Mark chapter 12, verses 32 to 33, tells us the response of this teacher of the law. This man said to Jesus, well said, teacher. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all of your heart, with all of your understanding and with all of your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And Jesus, when he heard this, he was impressed with the man's response. Verse 34 tells us, when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Being wholehearted is more important than sacrifice. 
and it reminds me of the story of King Saul in 1 Samuel 13. Saul and his men were fighting against the Philistines. The Philistines had a mighty army. Saul and his men were waiting for Samuel to come to make the burnt and peace offerings before they start fighting. Now, burnt and peace offerings were always offered on very formal or serious occasions that are either joyous or full of danger. Now, in Saul's case, they were in danger, and they were waiting for Samuel to make the offerings for this very serious occasion. But the thing is, and Saul knew this very clearly, only priests were allowed to make uh, offerings and sacrifices. This was a sacred and holy role reserved for Levites. Now, we know that King Saul was only a king. He's not a priest. Saul was hiding into the cave with his men, and he was getting impatient, and he was starting to become desperate. He really wanted to make the uh, offerings and sacrifices quickly so that he can start attacking the Philistines before the Philistines start attacking them. Saul disobeyed God's instructions. God told him, to wait for Samuel to make the sacrifices first. He didn't wait for Samuel, and he made the sacrifice himself. Later in 1 Samuel 15, Samuel confronts Saul again, and he said this very famous line in verse 22. Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Now, the biggest problem with Saul wasn't because he made the offerings when he shouldn't have because he's not a priest. Do you know what the biggest problem with Saul was? The biggest problem with Saul was that he didn't trust God. He thought that if he made the, just make the offering quickly, then that would guarantee victory from God. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Saul had this cause and effect mentality that goes something like this. I'm going to make it a sacrifice to God. And if I make a sacrifice to God, God is going to be pleased with me. And therefore, God will bless me. That's what people in the ancient times used to think. That's why they do child sacrifices. That's why they hurt themselves. They want to get attention from the gods. Now today, many of us might still have this mindset. If I raised my hands high enough, then maybe God would see me and he'll grant me some favor. But maybe my hands just aren't enough. So I'm going to kneel down on the floor, and I'm going to get down low. And now I've got the highs and the lows covered. Now, I'm not saying that raising hands and kneeling down in worship is wrong. The Bible doesn't say it's wrong. What becomes a problem is if or when we have the same attitude that Saul had. Are you with me? Now, if we think, okay, I'm going to raise my hands, I'm going to sing out loud to get God's attention so it will show me some extra favor, that is wrong. That is not wholehearted. It's called manipulation. Now, I, use, I just use corporate musical worship as an example, but there's lots of other areas in our Christian life that we can easily fall into the same trap. We might think signing up to lots of ministries would curry favor from God. We might think that only certain roles, like leadership roles, or the mission team, right, will get more blessings. Or we might think if we religiously read the Bible and pray every day, God will definitely bless us and keep us safe. Again, I'm not saying that these 
um, signing up to multiple ministries is wrong, or that those in leadership positions are just looking for more blessings from God, or that reading the Bible and praying every day is wrong. All these things are great. All these things are so good, and I really do want to encourage you to please do them, but only if your heart is in the right place and if it's where your gifting is. There's no gifting in Bible reading and prayer, so I'd love to encourage you to continue to do it regularly to keep strengthening your relationship with the Lord. Can I give you a confession? When I was young, it's like young, primary school young, okay? I used to manipulate God all the time. I manipulated him when a joyful or dangerous occasion was coming. There was one time when um, my very old church, my, the church that I grew up in, um, was organizing a church picnic, and I was very excited. I really wanted to go and have some fun, but the weather report said that um, it's very likely that it's going to rain. So I was like really nervous because I really wanted to go, and so I decided I'm going to pray to God. And so I said to God, please, 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 God, please don't let it rain tomorrow. Please let it hold out so that we can run the picnic and we'll have a great time. And if it doesn't rain tomorrow, I promise you, I will put more money in the offering. Guess what happened the next day? It didn't rain. But it meant that I had to put more money in the offering. Just kidding. Well, it didn't rain, actually. The picnic went ahead. I had a great time. But I'm pretty sure God didn't hold the rain because I manipulated him. I think there were other reasons. I also manipulated God when I wanted to do well in school. I told God, if you let me do well in my tests, I promise you I'll go to church every week. Now, that didn't work because my tests didn't always go well. But I'm glad that I'm still committed to church. My parents found out quite quickly that that was sort of how I prayed sometimes. And that's when they sat me down and they gently told me that we, or specifically me, shouldn't manipulate God. Samuel said, listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Imagine if your whole life you thought what you were doing was what God wanted you to do. But you get to heaven and you see God face to face and he tells you that you had it all wrong. Your heart wasn't there. Can I give you an illustration? During lockdown this year, I decided to challenge myself by doing some running. Now, I've never properly done running before. And so this was new and exciting to me. And because I wanted to take it seriously, I decided to buy myself um, one of those sports performance watches, the one that does running. So I got it. It was actually very motivating. It had all the stats that I needed to help me understand and all that kind of stuff. So this was halfway through lockdown, and I said, okay, I'm going to start, um, like, aim for a small thing. I'll try just less than 4Ks. And I wasn't sure that I could do it, but I was very surprised that actually I did run um, under 4Ks. And that really inspired me. I felt good. Um, about myself, like the mental health was good and all that kind of stuff. And I decided that I'm going to try like every um, once, after once or twice training, I'm just going to um, up it a little bit, if you know what I mean. And so after a few weeks, right, I eventually was able to do AKs. I'm like, wow, everyone's like, are you kidding, Rachel, AKs? Like for me, it's a huge achievement, right? AKs. And then I sort of I felt like I've conquered this and I want to push myself even more. And I said, okay, Rachel, can you do this? Can you do 9Ks? And I said, 
to my, just like me talking to myself. I said, it's just going to try it. If I don't try it, I won't know. So I said, I'm going to do 9Ks. And I got ready, like the hydration thing. And then I was like, this is it. I have to do it. Got out of my apartment. I was excited, but also a bit nervous because I just moved apartments, and which meant I have to run this new route. So you can see there's many factors going against me. So I was like, started running. At first, it's okay, yes, because like the beginning stages are always great. Started running, and then I kept running, and then by the 7K mark, you can imagine I was like huffing and puffing. It's very tiring, and um, and it was like um, to the like 8K mark, I was already um, groaning out really loudly, like. <laughs> I just couldn't hold it in myself. And um, people around me were starting to like, move away really quickly because they probably thought I have COVID or something. I'm not kidding you. It was like, <sighs> uh, actually, I shouldn't replicate. It was just so embarrassing. Anyways, eventually, about 50-ish minutes later, I actually completed the 9K run. And I was so surprised. I was so, oh, thanks, guys. <laughs> I did not expect. Thank you. I was so proud of myself because this is a personal best, and I couldn't wait to share it with my watch. And so I've done the 9Ks, I stopped the watch, and you know how they do the analysis, and then they'll give you all the stats, right? So I stopped it, it gets like a few seconds, and during those few seconds, I was thinking to myself, like, I wonder what my watch would tell me today. Like, is it going to have a party emoji? Is it going to say, well done, Rachel, a new personal best? So I was just so excited. And so after a few seconds, the stats come out. And then my watch tells me, Training status, unproductive. What? Training status, unproductive. Like, are you kidding me? I was like legit thinking to myself, uh, were you even there when I killed myself <laughs> running those 9Ks, sweating, groaning out in pain, embarrassing? I'm pretty sure there are people in the neighborhood who, like, they saw me and they're like, it's Rachel. So I flipped through, I entered into the next screen, and I wanted to find out why would, how dare you tell me that my training, my training status was unproductive? And it does tell me why. It explained why. It told me that, it turns out, that I've been training too hard, and I actually needed to do more low aerobic exercises, whatever that means. Now, wouldn't it be a shame if God tells us that the sacrifices we made to him were unproductive? God doesn't need fancy stuff from us. He wants our heart. He wants our attention. He wants our devotion to him. He wants us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, you might be thinking, wait a minute. The competency of our church is actually quite high. Does this mean Rachel is saying that all of us aren't wholehearted here? No, not at all. Remember, what I'm trying to get at is that we tend to do things to curry favor from God. It's a consumeristic mindset. God, I do this for you. Now you do this for me. Our ministries are very impressive. The music our band plays is amazing. We have very professional teams on hospitality ministries. Have I told you that our kids and youth leaders are amazing? There's no problem with excellence. And in fact, we should pursue serving God to the best of our abilities. But we must, we must check our hearts first. Are you with me? If our heart is not in the right place, even the best of the best of the best would never, ever please God at all. I'm speaking to a congregation of people who do regularly serve in various ministries. So thank you for doing that. 
Today, I'd like to challenge you. And I want to speak to you and ask you, do you love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? And is your heart in the right place? Do you do things hoping God will bless you more? Do you help your neighbor hoping they'll return the favor to you someday? When we love God and others, it's not, what will I get if I do this for them? Love is, even if I don't get a good response, I will still do this for them. Amen? And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Jesus died on the cross for our sin and shame. And he'd never, he would never force us to repent and confess that he is our Lord and Savior. He always lets us choose. So in reflecting on our wholehearted series today, are you able to say, Lord, I'm going to love you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And even though sometimes things don't go my way, I still trust that you love me even more than I could ever love you. And you know what's best for me. So I'm going to keep loving you and trusting you no matter what my life circumstances are. And Lord, you call us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Even though some people are hard to love, I'm still going to practice loving them. Even if they're not nice to me, I won't retaliate. Even though they don't appreciate what I do for them, Lord, I know you appreciate what I do, and that's good enough for me. I don't need any special blessings or favor because I already know that you've already blessed me so much and I trust where you'll lead me. To wrap up, the great commandment is such a great reminder for us to learn about what it means to be wholehearted. We talked about, firstly, Jesus gives us a new standard to wholehearted. That is, we can only love wholeheartedly through the grace and power of Jesus. Secondly, Jesus says to be wholehearted is to love. It's loving the Lord and our neighbors with our whole entire being. It's a singular focus to put love first in our lives. And finally, Jesus says, being wholehearted is more important than sacrifice. Loving God and others shouldn't be about manipulating them. We love with no strings attached. We love as a response to the love and grace that God has shown us first. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you loved us first, that you would send your son to die for us. Thank you, Lord, that you love us with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Lord, today we ask that you can help us, that your spirit will empower us through the grace and power of Jesus to love you first uh, wholeheartedly with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And secondly, Lord, I pray that you would empower us and inspire us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, uh, you know it's hard for us to do it because we are a fallen beings. We are sinful, Lord. Um, but we ask that you help us, give us the strength, help us to um, put our faith and trust in you, Lord, to rely in your grace and power. I pray as a church as well, when we practice this um, in our lives and as a community, I pray that we can continue to shine your light and your love to those around us. Lord, we ask this uh, in your son's precious name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.